Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Coming In Without Context podcast. I am Dylan Yang, and with me is the lovely Hope Stahlsteimer. Hope, what is the color of the day? Uh, it's blue, because it's nice and sunny out. Nice blue. <laughs> Today, we will be doing a few things differently from our last episode. We will be introducing banned words, which we cannot say once the participant joins. Uh, by the way, the banned words are texting or text and privacy. Got you, got you. We will be joined later on by our friend Josie, Josephine Cook. I will be leading the discussion today. And my question for you, Hope, is are texts private? Ooh. That's a good uh, question. Do you want me to say an initial answer right now? Yes, yes, please. Tell me your thoughts. Okay. I think texts should be private, but only to the same degree that, like, any other conversation. Like, if you're having a conversation with someone in, like, a separate room, and it's pretty clear you want to just have that conversation, it's personal, whatever, then, like, yeah, that should be private. But if you're in like a group chat with a whole bunch of people, then you can't expect it to stay within that group of people. Like it's a larger conversation at that point. So I feel like it should just pertain to the same rules that any other conversation would. Like if some you tell someone something and you don't specify that you want it to be private in like a even in a one-to-one chat, I feel like they should be allowed to talk about the conversation outside of the text because it's not like it's Yeah, I'm going to stick with that for right now, but I'm sure you're going to have a lot more to ask me. (laughs) To follow up on what you were saying, um, I think I agree. But for the group chats thing, I feel like if you make an agreement that that you want the text to be private in some capacity, I feel like then there's some expectation for that. Um, But yeah, if you don't, make any prior arrangements or agreement, then it does seem to be something that, like when you're just talking with someone, when you're talking in a group, you can freely reference back to that um, or share that story with other people who weren't there for the initial conversation. Yeah, it it does raise some interesting questions. I think primarily when you're texting someone just one-on-one about like what's private and what isn't. Because obviously when you're talking with someone, it's like, I mean, sometimes you do say like, oh, keep this between us. But if you don't, but you do share personal information, can you be offended if they share with uh, other people? So I feel like with some personal information, there's just like a golden rule. Like, oh, you know, not to share this with other people. Like, otherwise you're kind of a prick for doing it. But there's no like agreement. So you, how angry can you be with someone for sharing information? if you thought it was in confidence, but you didn't like make it clear that it was said in confidence. Mm -hmm. So the reason I bring this discussion to the table is because recently I heard on the radio that the Massachusetts high court uh, made a ruling on a court case and they ruled that the defendant's text are not protected by the right to privacy because they have the possibility of being screenshotted 
and spread on social media um, after the fact. And therefore, they shouldn't be protected as private. Now, I have various directions in which I think this is right and also wrong. Um, and to provide further background, this case was specifically dealing with an individual who was involved with the illicit trafficking and dealing of drugs, I believe. Uh, I guess, what are your thoughts, your initial reactions? To I think as long as uh, Massachusetts rule is that if a conversation is recorded, that's not an infringement of privacy, then I feel like that would make sense. However, if Massachusetts law is against like recording conversations without a participant's consent, I feel like then you can't screenshot a conversation and share it without a participant's con- uh, consent because it's basically the same concept. So I, I'm in- interested to see what the ruling would be on recording a conversation versus screenshotting a text because are conversations outside of texting more or less private or have greater breath, like weight to their privacy than others is what I'm kind of curious to see. That is a very good and interesting point you bring up because I do believe that Massachusetts is a two-party consent state for recording. Um, I think I, I looked this up a few years ago. I, I, I don't know if you recall, the, there was the huge case about Taylor Swift and Kanye West, um, and they, Kanye recorded um, a phone call between them where he was in California and uh, Taylor Swift was in New York, I believe, and the two states have different policies on whether you require both parties to consent and be aware of being recorded versus only one party needing to know that they are being recorded. So, Yeah, I, I feel like because there were texts about illicit substances, the court probably wanted to get the conviction of someone who was dealing illicit substances. But I wonder how their ruling would have changed if it was like the private information of an elected official or something like that that wasn't necessarily illegal, but had consequences. Right. I have uh, further information on this. Um, So from the article I read, which is by thehill.com, the decision from the high court was based on a prior federal ruling that once a letter has been delivered to the recipient, it is no longer protected as private. So basically, even while it's still in transit, um, as you're writing it, it's still in your, your possession. It's private, but once it is delivered to the recipient and they, I assume, and I assume once they open it, then it is no longer protected because I guess the thinking there is it can be then passed around. The ownership of the letter is, belongs to the recipient then? Although that kind of, that seems odd to me. Yeah, I think it would, it seems like then the ownership belongs to the recipient who who can then do what they want with the letter. I I mean it's the same thing if you give a gift to someone. It's then their property. You can't like require they give it back to you, you know? So I feel like a letter in that way is like a gift. Like you give it to them and it's then theirs. And so I guess they're viewing a text in the same fashion as a letter 
and less like a conversation. Yeah, that's really interesting though, because I'm very split on this. I think that goes against my personal intuitions on specifically like are words really gifts? Um, or I guess is is for, is your your own speech can it be owned by other people? Right? I know there's like a whole mess with uh, songwriting and lyrics, which are you know there's a lot of cases where there's a fight between publishers or the the record holder, right, and then the artists themselves who presumably came came up with the lyric. Um, but I was also thinking about photos. Right. I think that's somewhat related. You can take a photo of people in public spaces and the rights and ownership of the photo belong to the photographer and not the individual they're taking the photo of. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's a really interesting conundrum. I think in one way, if the photographer pays the model for their time, then they're paying them for their appearance in the photos already. So it makes sense that the photographer owns the photos. But in a lot of ways, like if you're photographing like random people on the streets for some project, I feel like that's way different. You have their consent. I think in some way they should, you're not paying them, you know? Mm-hmm. Do they do they have some ownership over the photos? Um, and I know like probably wedding photos and things like that, since they're paying for the service of having the photos taken, that is theirs. Like they own those photos, not the photographer. So I feel like that's a really interesting thing. It, it brings me more towards um, photos being sent over text and services like OnlyFans, which obviously isn't over text. But like if you're paying someone for their photos on OnlyFans, that doesn't mean you can just go and distribute it to whoever. So how does that work privacy-wise? Right. Like there's a difference between licensing and maybe just sharing these images versus who holds ownership over them and the right to distribute and sell. Going back to your idea about words being gifts, I think for me that definitely makes sense in terms of cards. Like if you're writing a card and you're sending a card to someone, Obviously, the intention there is that they get to keep the cards, right? But texts and things over the internet, well, obviously, it's not material, first of all. But it's so much more fluid, in a sense. One idea I had is that, I guess, in a way, when you have a discussion or when you text someone individually, you kind of have joint ownership of that discussion, right? Like, it's unspoken, but there's this implication that either party has the right to share and distribute that, um, excluding any prior contracts or agreements, as we've discussed, between them for privacy, right? So in that sense, um, going back to the case, I suppose if the drug dealer or if the defendant texted another individual and the other individual willingly gave up the screenshots to the court, then I, I suppose they have that right to, and then the the court has the right to ad- admit that evidence. Yeah, but I I feel like the problem with that is, like I said, they're viewing texts as letters, 
and less like a conversation. And I feel like if you're sending a letter, you probably review it once or twice before you send it off to the mail and it takes several days to get there and Mm -hmm. yada, yada. Whereas a text, you write it and within a second it's sent and you can't take it back. Like it's more of a conversation in that things just kind of happen and you don't have to reflect on them very much. And I mean, there's probably countless seminars going on at high schools around America saying, remember to think before you send and all of that. But you honestly don't have to think much to send a text. It's it's very different from a letter in that sense. And while there is, I'd say, a joint ownership over like a texting conversation, I feel like it should have the same sort of rules as an in-person conversation where, you know, if you're going to court, like anything you say about a conversation is hearsay, like because it wasn't recorded So if you go up to the stand, you can't just explicitly say what the person said to you. You can hint at it and, you know, lawyers have their ways around it, but you can't like explicitly say it. With text, you can see exactly what was said. It can't really be altered. So, but I mean, we were talking about like, is it right? If it applies to the same, like you can't record a conversation, can you take a screenshot and use it for legal purposes? And obviously this court ruled Yes, you can. It's not an infringement on privacy, but I don't know if I disagree with that or not. I feel like I do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely um, an interesting point you bring up. I I was thinking about it, too. I was I feel like there's more of a apt comparison between texting and having conversation, a live conversation, so to speak. But then you are bringing up the point about how in the legal system, there there are still distinct differences. And I actually wanted to kind of go off in a different direction for a second. Um, we were discussing about the immediacy of text. And there's a lot of discussion these days about cancel culture and people making mistakes. And I think a, a large part of that is due to, like you said, the, the lack of time, the lack of processing and reviewing time because it's just so immediate. Once you post something on social media, it's out there. People can screenshot it, they can save it. And if you happen to regret posting that or saying what you did, you don't have the opportunity. Like even if you take it down from your account, it's already out there and people have it and they can use it against you. Yo, did you guys already start? Yes. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) What do you think about this, Josie? Cancel culture? Um, I don't know. I think I see what you're saying about what you were just discussing about how even if you regret something and take it down, like you're still going to face the consequences for it. And that's definitely been an issue. But even the fact that we're discussing it like this, I think people are becoming more aware of like, you know, the idea that everyone's always like learning and growing. And there's some stuff that people say that it's, you know, really hard for them to defend and be like, oh, I was young like, and stupid. But there's also... I think a lot of forgiveness depending on the sincerity of the apology. I feel like a lot of apologies that really don't pan out for the person making them are the ones that are very clearly insincere and they're just trying to like make up for, you know, what they did and the public reaction to it. Right. That's definitely hard to gauge though, especially on the internet. You know, it's become kind of a meme now. um, Yeah. Apology videos. (laughs) Absolutely. 
But like thinking about like there are examples. Well, I can really only think of one good example is like the Jenna Marbles thing mm. um, where she made the apology that was sincere enough that she was so personally disappointed in herself that she completely left. And a lot of people were like, oh, my God, you didn't have to do that. Um, which is also, you know, that brings up it was obviously all of a lot of her fans that were saying that. And obviously anyone's fans are going to try to defend them unless, you know, they do something truly horrible. And even then, sometimes not. Yeah, I, I do think it's really hard to judge the sincerity of a statement made online. Um, and it's also like if they had said it outside of the online space, um, like, would they have the same consequences? Uh, since it's so much less permanent to say something out loud and just around other people than when it's online and anyone can access it later. I mean, everything's permanent when it's posted online. Which can be a good thing, like in the context of like somebody posting something or saying something on video that was like really terrible if they were like racist or sexist or anything like that. And then maybe they make a sincere apology or it's years and years down the line. I think it's important that maybe it doesn't stay up in its original context, but people still have access to it to sort of see that growth because that is the kind of thing that would help prevent like the absoluteness of cancel culture, being able to see these people and see like, okay, they held these opinions at one point, but they learned and grew and obviously don't hold them anymore. But it, you know, it needs to be presented in different contexts. Like when they show old cartoons and there's that message beforehand, that's like, okay, this was made during this time. These beliefs are not held by the company anymore, but it's really important that they, that we don't pretend it never happened. I think part of that maybe, well, definitely it's part of our culture, right? We, we want things to be immediate and we always react to them as soon as possible. This is a problem for like news, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of these cases of like misreporting um, the facts or misrepresenting certain cases and then come and later, only later do they find out what actually happened but by that point it's already too late most people have moved on from that and they don't care about the truth so to speak mm-hmm. but i think also for social media maybe there's not enough of an emphasis on when certain things are posted i'm not much on social media myself but i do know that they all have like the post date right but it's usually a small caption font at um, just underneath whatever the post is. And yeah. sometimes it's hard to see. And of course you can kind of look at that and then think to yourself, oh, that was this many years ago. The time is maybe not as emphasized as it could be, but I think it's also difficult because like, it's hard to gauge like how many years and if a person's really grown, right? Like after a certain point in development, you're no longer going to grow physically or anything like that. So there's nothing visual about it, it's completely mental or, or related to your personality or that sort of thing, which is hard to hard to measure, right? I suppose it's hard to measure, but how much do you need to measure it with like definitive units? I feel like in in the case where it would be helpful for it to for something problematic to have stuck around, it would be helpful in the context of like you know, a lot of people that are on the internet and on social media for like, it's their career. You can kind of chronicle their lives going back through all of their different accounts. And 
I don't know. I feel like sometimes you can change, you can see like the differences in like the language they use and the way they interact with people. And it's obviously very subjective, but a lot of times it can be, it can be really real. I also want to acknowledge before this conversation goes any further that cancel culture doesn't really work. Like think about all of the people that have quote unquote gotten canceled and they're still making content and making tons of money. Like just because a lot more people understand that they're awful doesn't mean that they don't have a career anymore. I I think this brings me to an interesting question. Is it an asset to be more online or less online? Because a lot of people, you know, can have consequences, but as you just, it doesn't mean it actually lasts or is any meaningful consequence. But uh, for a lot of people, any sort of controversy could be averted altogether if they weren't as online as they were. So I personally definitely think that it's better <laughs> not be online. But the, the problem with that is that it's such a necessity um, in our modern, quote unquote, modern society, right? You're not going to be able to get a job without having an online presence in some way, whether it's an email or a LinkedIn or any like some basic things like that, right? Social media is more or less optional. But it's almost impossible in these days to not have an online presence. Like if you're trying to go completely off the grid, it's doable. <laughs> it's definitely not accessible for the app. Yeah. There's only so many options for like your career and your livelihood if you're going to be off the grid. Yeah, you better know how to farm. <laughs> I hope your question is interesting because I feel like I need more context to answer it. Because you, you asked like, is it better to be more online or offline? And I think Dylan was was right in saying it's really important for certain for certain people for their jobs, obviously. Like if you want to be successful with being like an online entertainer, influencer, that kind of thing, it's better to be more online, obviously. <laughs> uh, because you know, you interact more with the, your audience and you get more um, you know, just interaction with all your posts and videos and things. But I only think it would be a problem. I don't know. Being more online, I think, are, are you getting at like, oh, there's more chances for you to say something problematic or do like something from your past comes up if you're more online? I don't know. I was just putting the question out there to see how you guys would respond. And I'm also thinking outside of the career sphere and outside of like the consequences and all that sphere is it better to be more or less online? Because I feel like there's a lot of social consequences of not being online. I mean, even outside, even if you have never said anything negative in your life, like if you're not on social media, it can be harder to connect with people and meet people. And I mean, there's still plenty of ways to do so, but I feel like there's a lot of consequences to not being online, but there are also a lot of consequences to being online, like mental health wise and different things. So what's the trade-off? What are you gaining and what are you Mm. Got it. Yeah, it's tough. Bringing us back to how this conversation started, I just wanted to, I guess, tell a story of an experience <laughs> I had when I was, I think, in middle school, maybe elementary school. I'm not entirely sure. It was a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about like this immediacy effect, right? And a teacher had asked me why I thought like so many of these issues, um, like we, we've discussed about social media, were 
occurring and people had to kind of like backtrack or like apologize for this, these things. Whereas maybe a few decades ago, sure, these things would have happened, but not as often as we're seeing today, right? And I, in my infinite youth and wisdom, thought about how when you have access to the internet and messaging, as we've discussed, it is one second away. You can type something and send it. And more specifically, when you're emotional, right? If you're angry about something, if you had a beef with your friend, you can send them an angry text message and you can't take that back. Mm -hmm. Texting is kind of similar to having an in-person conversation, right? Because when you say something, you might not be thinking about what you're saying, but once it's said and they've kind of received it, you, you really can't, you, you just, your only option is to apologize, right? You can't delete that. You can't edit what you've said and you can't uh, change how the person you're speaking to interprets and receives your work. I, I, I want to really disagree with you on this one because I definitely, obviously that last point you made, like how they interpret it, like you can't control that. And that's pretty obvious. But I think that with texting, it's a lot easier to be more careful about the conversation because you don't have to respond immediately like you can take like a minute or two to think about it and that's like regular like that's not that's not super rude to do that and it's not like you say like you can't take it back when you text someone something as if that's not something that happens in real life too like if I say something to your face I can't just take that back yeah yeah absolutely that's what I that's what I was comparing okay the reason I wanted to discuss this Josie with you and Hope particularly Mm -hmm. Um, is because you, Josie, are a very avid texter. Um, sure. <laughs> I don't, I don't think, I don't think so, but keep going. That was sarcasm. Ah, uh, got it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, I guess t- to respond to your point, I, f- I do feel like there are instances where you might be like not in the best mental state. You might not be calm. Um, and you might something out, whether it's over text or social media, and you're going to, you might regret it later, right? As yeah. But also, I feel like, I don't want to sound like old generational, <laughs> but our generations, which have grown up with this technology, mm-hmm. feel like this really, this developed skill and I guess decorum around texting. Right. Oh, yeah. To express like tone and everything. Yes, absolutely. Like, yeah, with the the development of emojis and the and all those different kinds of expressions. Right. It's supposed to be faster, but there's a lot of nuance within that. Yeah. Yeah. I want to bring up a story from today. Actually, I texted Dylan. I was at an antique store and I found a tapestry of JFK and (laughs) and um, mostly joking, I had texted it to Dylan and was like, should I buy this for the apartment? And I wasn't, I was unsure of whether or not you thought I was serious. And I think you, I think you did think I was serious based on your responses. I re- interpreted it as half serious and half. <laughs> Which I guess is pretty close to what it was. But that, yeah, that's a situation where it's sort of like, obviously that's a very specific situation, but when it like asking questions and that kind of thing, it's hard to tell if a person is serious. One of my favorite more recent um like online like syntax things is the difference between a single question mark and two question marks 
when you're texting somebody? A single question mark is so much more serious. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I feel like a single question mark is like, if, if you texted someone a single question mark with the question, are you going out tonight? A single question mark would be like, oh, are you going out tonight? Whereas two question marks is more like almost shocked and like incredulous. Like, are you going out tonight? Exactly. Yeah. It's my favorite one so far. <laughs> it's terrible texting my parents. I mean, this is a long drawn cliche, but like sending up okay with a period, I can't help but interpret <laughs> it as angry. And for my mother, it's just how she texts. And every text I get from her, I interpret as angry just because of how she texts. And my dad's just a sloppy texter. There's spaces in the middle of words and it's just <laughs> Yeah, chaotic. I mean, this is issues that like people our age have been bringing up for years now that like yeah. our parents' generation just don't have the same like understanding of texting etiquette, I guess. I don't, what's, what's a better word for it? Because it's not etiquette. It's like- Generisms, rules. Like a vernacular, I guess, yeah. I mean, to be fair, texting nowadays is almost like its own language, yeah. right? So many things you have to keep in mind. And these are people coming from a generation where probably formal writing is the only type of writing they ever did, right? It's not like you're typing out like a casual uh, shorthand speech that you're going to give to your friend. Um, yeah. Yeah. I feel like our parents' generation is like one and a half generations before that really early texting language became a thing, like where everything was a um, like shortened to acronym. Yeah. Everything was just shortened to acronyms. And that's obviously some, like that's stuck around, but not to the extent, I think, when people's phones had nine buttons for all the different letters. Yeah. I also... It makes more sense why older people might view a conversation online as more like sending a letter or something more serious and that they have to use the proper writing that you would in any other situation. Whereas I think for most younger people, texting is a same conversation that you would have in person, just online. And so it's, I feel like it's viewed very differently across generations. Yeah, I love getting texts from my grandparents and they sign the end of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that feeds into a lot of other judgments around texting. Mm -hmm. I had a point I wanted to bring up about texting, but I have since forgotten <laughs> it. We're moving too fast. Yes, I will direct to you, Josie, because you joined and you were quite confused that we had already started. Yeah, I kind of expected to like introduce myself and everything. Yes. <laughs> and, and that was purposeful on our end because we wanted to make the experience for you that much more jarring yeah <laughs> coming in without context <laughs> so so Josie what do you think was the topic for today's discussion we really jumped over I guess when I when I jumped we were talking about cancel culture right um I guess maybe more a little more broadly it may have been like online culture or online etiquette good guess good guess okay or was it more specific and it actually started like with cancel culture and like influencers and everything it indeed was more specific, but it was not related to any of those things. Okay. The discussion question for today was, are texts private? Oh, so we kind of came back around to that a little bit. I tried to weasel my way back to the original topic because he based his question on a ruling that said texts were not private. And it seemed like the legislation was closer to the rules regarding a letter and less like uh, in-person conversation. So I tried to like blow it back there at the end. <laughs> cool. All right. Yeah. 
that definitely it definitely got away from the original topic. Yes, I I, I purposely I didn't know exactly when you were coming in, but the time mm-hmm. out that I was I happened to be diverting to a different topic. At, <laughs> that worked just as out. I arrived, yeah. Um, and also another feature, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, um, was band words, and one of the band words was in fact texting. But it worked out that even using the word, you were still very confused because we kind of looped back to the conversation. So I think that worked. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it for today's discussion of coming in without context. Thank <laughs> you for jo- joining us, even though you're very confused. All right. Um, this is the end of the episode. Do you have a, an end of the podcast jingle? Um, and then a smile crept across my face. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye.